Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for joining me. This is the lovely podcast, God's Holy Word. I am your lovely host, Leslie Sullivan. Thank you so much for joining me today. And today is episode 9 and we're going to continue our lovely series The Goodness of God and this is part 6 of that series. So let's go ahead and get started. But first and foremost, I wanted to give a shout out to several or many of my listeners that have joined in on this podcast. So I'm going to list some states and some countries and just give a shout out to you because I think you're great and wonderful. So here we go from the United States. Uh these are the states that I've seen so far that have been listening in, if not more. Texas, Oklahoma, Nevada, Ohio, Wyoming, Virginia, Georgia, Utah, California, Maryland, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, Oregon, Massachusetts, and Washington. Now we have some other countries that have been listening and God bless you, that's wonderful. Uh, let's see here we have Australia. I've never been there, but you guys have an awesome accent. We have Canada. Canada, I love you guys too. I've actually visited Canada before. I visited, I believe it's called Prince Edward Island where Anne of Green Gables was filmed many years ago. Such a beautiful place and you have such a beautiful, wonderful country. You guys are so nice up there. Um another country that has been listening in and I had never heard of this country, but it's in South Africa. And and excuse me if I'm mispronouncing your country's name. It's I can't even say Namibia, N A M I B I A or Namibia. I'm not quite sure I pronounced that, but God bless you. Thank you so much for listening in. You guys are absolutely wonderful. So today we're going to take a look at the book of Revelation. We're going to look at the first chapter of Revelation, and something just pulled me to this today. I don't know why, but I thought, you know, this is a really good book because one of the first times I read Revelations was when I was way younger that I remember reading it. I was in probably middle school or high school and I just fell in love with the book of Revelation. It's just full of so much imagery and historicalness to it. It's very much like a documentary as well. And it's very much a part of our Judeo-Christian faith. It's just a wonderful document because not only is it historical, but it's also a letter written by the apostle John um to seven churches and it's just written so well and he writes about what God and Jesus told him to write about. So this is a really neat passage. It's packed with a lot of imagery. Um it's just really packed with the goodness of God. So let's go ahead and get started. So again, I am reading from the New International Version, the NIV, and this is the Leadership Bible. It is definitely a good one. So here we go. It says the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. who testifies to everything he saw that is the word of god and the testimony of jesus christ blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near john to the seven churches in the province of asia grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from jesus christ who is the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his god and father to him be glory and power forever and ever amen look he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him even those who pierced him and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him so shall it be amen 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who, and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion, in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. To me that's an absolutely powerful passage just right out of the gate in the first chapter of Revelation. So I want to go back and look at several things. But one of the first things that jumped out at me was whenever people doubt the holy word of God and I want to make a point of this that the holy word of God is very much real. The human race really fought to keep the word of God alive and we know that because of all the people that suffered for Christ Jesus to get this written down to have it translated and for it to not to be burnt up in any type of fire but for it to go out to all the world so that everyone on the face of this earth could have access to the holy gospel and to the truth of Jesus Christ. And I want to give an example here. So for those that might have doubts about God and about Jesus and about the validity of the Bible Let's talk about some of the facts here and I completely understand where you're coming from if you're not familiar familiar with the Judeo-Christian faith or if you're not familiar with history I completely understand I've been there myself so I want to go through several of these things and just really swing it home as to the 100% factual validity of the holy word of God because the holy word of God is a living it's a living document which means that it's historical but it's also relevant in our day and age. So basically it never dies because it's part of God and because God is alive, his word is alive and when we believe in the holy word of God, that's where we get our life from. That's where we get our light of Christ that shines out of us. It's absolutely beautiful. So I want to talk about real quick um the seven churches uh that he's referring to. These are churches that were in the province of Asia. And so just looking up here online, it says here the seven churches of Asia as stated in the book of Revelation are Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and I can't even say Laodicea or Laodicea. Today all these are existing names in Turkey as they are ancient cities protected by the culture and tourism ministry of the Republic of Turkey. 
So right there we see that these places were real because they are still around today and even if they were not around today they are directly listed in historical documents not just in the bible but in other places that are documented throughout the world but these places are still around today so i encourage you if you have the opportunity to travel go visit these churches go visit these areas because these are the churches that received this letter from john and he wrote to each of them individually and what a wonderful thing it is that he did that because he was called to do it and what i love about the apostle john is that he answered the call of christ on his life he answered that holy call and when the lord asked him to write these letters he did so and he he really let me put it this way he really took a beating in his life literally um for for the kingdom of god and for believing in jesus christ so i want to read here just a short little blurb about uh, about about the apostle john he's called john of patmos and says here John of Patmos is the name traditionally given to the author of the book of Revelation. The text of Revelation states that John was on Patmos, a Greek island where according to most biblical historians, he was exiled as a result of anti-Christian persecution under the Roman emperor. I believe it's pronounced um Domitian, if I remember correctly, if I'm wrong, I apologize. It goes on to say Christian tradition has considered the book of Revelation's writer to be John the Evangelist. or possibly John the Apostle sometimes these names are inter- are interchangeable and it goes on to say John is considered to have been exiled to Patmos during a time of persecution under the Roman rule of Domitian in the late 1st century and it says Revelation 1:9 states I John both your brother and companion in tribulation was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ and there's a gentleman here that has a quote I think his name is Abella or it might be a woman I take that back um Abella Yarbra Collins a biblical scholar at Yale Divinity School writes early tradition says that John was banished to Patmos by the Roman authorities this tradition is credible because banishment was a common punishment used during the imperial period for a number of offenses among such offenses were the practices of magic and astrology prophecy was viewed by the Romans as belonging to the same category whether pagan Jewish or Christian prophecy with political implications like that expressed by John in the book of Revelation would have been perceived as a threat to Roman political power and order and then it lists three different islands that were used to exile people so this is definitely a real document this is a real event that occurred patmos is real so i'm going to read to you about patmos cuz it actually is an island it says patmos is a small greek island in the aegean sea It is perhaps best known today as the loca- location the apostle John received the visions found in the book of Revelation of the New Testament and where the book was written. One of the northernmost islands, I don't know how to pronounce that word. I think it's a uh, Dokanese complex. I think that's how it's pronounced. It has a population of 2998 and it says the it lists the highest point. I don't really care about that. um but says the municipality of Patmos which includes offshore islands of I think it's Arkoi A R K O I Marathos and several uninhabited um islets I think that's how you pronounce it or islets I'm not sure how to pronounce that word has a total population of 3047 as of the 2011 census and it talks about how large the area is and it gives a history here so this this island and this person which is John the apostle apostle he is real 
Patmos is real. This actually did occur. These seven churches are real. They are in Turkey, and it was very much a relevant area because what you have to remember is how far the Roman Empire spread across that area. And Rome was not about to put up with anyone um, trying to preach freedom or liberty. And you know, when you believe in Jesus Christ, you believe in freedom and liberty. That doesn't mean that you um, purposely form a militia and go up against the government, but Rome was very much a pagan culture, and they did not want any competition from anyone. So that's why they actually tortured John before they exiled him. And so this is an actual living, breathing document. It is very historical because this person is real, the place is real. So when I look at whether or not something is true, I'm very much black and white, yes and no in that respect. But I also have a very strong faith. But I know that from just a black and white, yes and no, this is legitimate. Because of what we can prove just from the historical basics of it. So one of the things that I really liked about this scripture is that it said, "Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and take it to heart what is written in it, because the time is near." What really got my attention about that verse, and that's verse three from chapter one, is that when you read God's word aloud. It's almost like you're getting blessed because you literally are. You are receiving a blessing from God because to read His holy word is to be blessed. And then when you believe it and you take it to heart, it's almost like you're receiving another blessing because in fact you are. Because when you believe in the goodness of God, you believe in His holy word. That helps to really push you forward in terms of having a really wonderful, good life. Because when you're walking in the blessing of God, not much can bring you down. That doesn't mean um, the devil. Won't try and bring you down. That he won't try and、um, make your life a living hell, as they say, because that's the evil one's intent. He wants to make our lives miserable. But if we focus on Jesus Christ, if we focus on that calling of holiness on our life, and we continue to walk with Christ, then not much can really depress us because we know the battle has already been won. And you know, as we go through the rest of the Bible and pick up different pieces of it, you know, we already know that. The battles are already been won. It was won by our Lord Jesus Christ, and so we really have nothing to worry about. And I know there might be some that are listening, thinking, "Well, you don't know my situation." That's true, but I've been in situations where I wasn't sure what to do, and I thought that you know it was over. I, I literally thought that I was going to die at one point in my life, and I just it just dawned on me to believe. So in my moment of extreme, I would say an extreme health crisis. I started reading、um, the Gospels just right there in my bed, laying flat on my back. I got my Bible, and I read through the entire New Testament while I was in agony and in pain, and it got me through because it took my mind off of the pain. It took my mind off of what I was going through, and instead, it encouraged me to look forward to the future. You know, we should never look forward to death. We are only supposed to look forward to life. Because that's what God—that is what God calls us to do. He calls us to look forward to living a wonderful life with Him in Him while we are here on earth. Because whatever we do here on earth is a completion once we get up to heaven. That's our goal—is to get to heaven, right? So we should be living in the goodness and blessing of God while while we are down here on earth. You know, earth is not supposed to be some miserable, horrible place. That's hell. We don't want to have. Any kind of replication of hell in our daily life, or with, or within our lifetime, because to me that's not acceptable. 
Because I look at it this way, I'm only going to accept God's best. And anything less than that is just not good enough. And if it's not God's best, I'm not taking it. I'm not going to allow it in my life. I'm only going to pursue what God calls me to do. And when you really put your foot down and you draw a line in the sand, it's amazing how many problems just go away because you realize how small and insignificant or how non-worrisome a lot of situations are because when you put God first it puts everything else into perspective and I greatly appreciate that that's one thing I love about the holy word of God is that it is so powerful it can knock down any obstacle it can knock down any oppressor it it just has a mightiness to it there's so much power in the word of God it is more powerful than uh than a cannon or a tank. Like and those are some of the most powerful things that I think of here on earth. You know, our heavenly father is amazing. You know, he is the creator, we are the creation, but he made it so that we can partake in his mightiness in terms of courage and confidence and really knocking out these situations with our faith. Because there are some there are a couple of mentions in the New Testament where Jesus is talking to someone and they'll say, "Lord, help me to believe." Lord I have faith help me to believe or they're not sure if they have faith. Well, what Jesus tells, you know, several people is that your faith has saved you or your faith has healed you, meaning that because you had faith in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit because you had faith, that is what cured you. If you don't have faith, then it's very difficult to get hardly anything done. Because when you're not walking in faith, you're not walking in the goodness of God and you're just kind of out there floundering in the ocean. but we're not called to flounder we are called to thrive not just survive but thrive and i love that we have that opportunity to live wonderful lives i just absolutely love it so i find it very kind and endearing where he's addressing the seven churches and he says to the seven churches in the province of asia so he's very specific he knows who he's writing to he knows that these places are real these people are real and he wants to share this message with them because that's what he's called to do And he says grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. The number one thing that got my attention about that verse is grace and peace to you. That is such a wonderful beautiful way to greet someone. Cuz I think about, you know, how do we how do we approach people? How do we say hello? How do we say goodbye? Like what are the pleasantries that we have? And I would think that if someone addressed me and said, "You know, dear Leslie, grace and peace to you." What a beautiful opening from someone. That that's just absolutely wonderful. I can't think of a better way to address a letter or to even greet someone in person. In this respect, it was a letter. But I just think it's wonderful that he writes it as grace and peace to you. He's making it very specific, very individualistic. So it's not just, "Hey, I want all of you to be happy." Well, that that's a nice wish, you know, that that's a I guess a nice calling. But the way that you can help people to be happy is to wish them grace and peace in Christ Jesus because that's where you are going to find grace and peace and that's really what he's saying there is that you can have grace and peace in your life if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. and that is very important that that you know that. And so he's writing all these churches to really build them up and to really help them to realize who they are in Christ Jesus and so that they that they don't lose heart, that they don't falter. 
and that they continue to walk in the goodness of God all their life because how beautiful would it be if someone wrote you a letter like that especially if you were in dire need of being uplifted out of your pit of misery i just think what an amazing letter that would be because you have to remember that to write a letter back then it was super intentional um paper probably was not readily available not everybody was super literate hardly anybody was literate actually so whenever someone wrote a letter it was very intentional it meant a lot your words meant so much more back then than they do today cuz today it's like anybody can get on twitter or instagram and just start spouting off on stuff but this was very much intentional and this was intentional based on god's love for the human race so know that you are loved because god created you he will never forsake you you're in his holy family So just remember that. So whenever these letters are being written to the churches, put yourself in the shoes of these churches. Because really that's how these churches felt. They they were expecting to hear from John and even if some of them weren't, what an amazing letter to get because it's very uplifting. So then another part that I love is that it says to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins. So he loves us. So in his love he frees us. You know, I look at it this way, you know, what kind of relationships do we have in our life and also are they truly loving relationships? Cuz I can think of some relationships I've had in my in my life, I was going to say adult life that they were not always loving. It was controlling, it was manipulating, and when I walked away from those relationships cuz I knew that it wasn't founded on the love of God and it wasn't a very kind or endearing relationship. So I look at that as a very good example of to walk away from anything that is not based on God's love and if it's not real love like there are some relationships that are based on money, lust, greed, property, power, whatever the case may be, none of those are good enough for you. The only thing that is good enough for you and for me is God's love. And when you focus on the love of God, then God will bring you the the right relationships, regardless of what kind of relationship you want. If you want a wife, if you want a husband, if you want to have a child, if you want to have a wonderful job, if you want a really nice boss, if you just want to be prosperous in everything that you do, if you want to find a really good church to attend, you want a really good pastor, or maybe you want to be a really good leader at your church, maybe you want to be a pastor, all of those things are relationships because As human beings, we are relationship based. We need community. We need fellowship with each other. So it's important that those relationships that they are good and true from the beginning. That doesn't mean you won't ever have tough times per se or maybe things might get a little rocky, but if you have a firm foundation and if your firm foundation is based on the love of God, then you're going to have a very wonderful relationship and if ever something rocky happens, or tough or enduring so to speak then just know that because of your firm foundation on the love of God you will make it through so you don't need to worry about it and you don't need to fear it and whenever something does come up for whatever reason just know in your heart and in your soul that God has you in the palm of your in the palm of his hand and that he has your relationship in the palm of his hand and he's going to take care of you and provide for you and he's going to help you in that situation so that's how I look at it with that because it is very much fellowship with God. It's not a one-way street, it's a two-way street. We need God and he wants us in his life. Otherwise he would not have created us. So what I love here, it goes on to say um down in verse, I think this is verse, it's part of verse 10. It says write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches and it lists the seven churches. What I find interesting here is that 
you know, the Lord gives John a command. He says, I want you to do this. Write on a scroll all this information. Send it to these particular churches. And what I find interesting with this is that, you know, God is never vague. He is very specific with us. Why? Because he loves us. He knows our talents. He knows our flaws. He knows our gifts. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our strengths. He knows all of this. So whatever task or responsibility uh, God gives us, or even if you want to consider it an opportunity, because that's what it is. It's an opportunity to do good in your life. Whenever God gives us an assignment like this, it's our job to fulfill that assignment and at least try and do it. You know, don't just go, well, I might do it or I'll try. You know, that's not really putting your best foot forward. What I find interesting is that John didn't hesitate. He just did it. He did exactly what the Lord told him to do. And just imagine if John had been weak or wishy-washy. And let's say, for example, if he hadn't done what the Lord told him to do, we wouldn't have any of these letters. We wouldn't have the book of Revelation. So it's important that when God puts a calling on our life and he calls us to do something regardless of what that calling is, you know, God calls specific people to do specific things. So that tells me that we all have a place in this world. God knows and loves all of us. No one is insignificant. We are all significant. And nothing is duplicated. Nothing is replicated. We are very individualistic because God made us as individuals. You know, we weren't born in the womb as a community or as a flock we were born as individuals as like individual sheep but we come together as a flock to our one true shepherd and we come as believers and we come there for fellowship but even though we're coming together as believers that doesn't mean that we lose our individuality and that doesn't mean that we should change our personality that doesn't mean that we should change based on what the world says and does we should only change based on what god says and what he wants you know you know like let's say for example Um, how do I word this? Da, 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 da. I was thinking about plastic surgery. Let's say, for example, you think you need all this plastic surgery. And the Lord's saying, no, I don't think you need all that. If you want to get all that, you know, I'll protect you while you go under the knife. But I don't think you need all that. But let's say, for example, you feel like, you know, you really need a nose job. You know, let's say, for example, you can't stand your nose. You know, you, 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 you just can't stand looking at yourself in pictures or something. Well, I would take that up with God. And if God says, hey, I'm okay with you getting a nose job. I love you just the way you are. But if it makes you happy, if this is what you want, then fine, go ahead. I will guard and protect you while you're under anesthesia, and I, I will help you heal from that. God's not against us changing ourselves. He's against us not loving ourselves the way that he loves us. He wants us to see ourselves as he sees us. Because when you, when you see yourself as God sees you, then you're not going to practice that self-hatred. You're not going to fall into the rut of, oh, I need a facelift, I need a nose job, um, I need Botox every week, which I don't think they would give that to you every week because that could possibly be toxic. But, I mean, I think you get the point. Like, if all we're wanting to do is change, 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 it gets really old. Because then, by the end of it, you're going to feel like, who am I? And I think there would be nothing worse than looking in the mirror and not even recognizing who you are anymore because you've done so much to your face or to your body and not for the right reasons. I mean, I'll give an example. Let's say, for example, um, you are, let's see, let's say you're a mother of like five kids and you want to have a tummy tuck. I don't blame you for that. I would want a tummy tuck if I'd had five kids and if my skin didn't go back to where it was supposed to be. But I look at it this way. You know, when someone gives birth, That is an amazing, beautiful thing to do. 
because a woman took the chance of bringing life into the world that God designated her to give birth to that baby. So whenever I see women with stretch marks or maybe with excess excess skin on their abdomen, I don't ever think, "Oh, man, she's a tummy tuck." I just think what a beautiful thing. She gave birth to a child. She gave birth to a baby. How beautiful is that? I mean, she sacrificed 9 months of her life to carry a human being inside her body. Took the risk of having a very difficult delivery and gave birth to 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 a baby. I think that's a beautiful thing. I think it depends on how you look at things, but I also know that, you know, if I was in that position and if I had all this skin hanging on me on my abdomen, my stomach, And if I really wanted to get rid of it, I would. But I'd also take it up in prayer first. I don't think God is against surgery. I mean, modern medicine is a blessing to us from God. But I think there's a difference between getting one or two or maybe three procedures done as opposed to like 10 or 15 because it it can easily turn into an addiction. But I will say this in regards to a tummy tuck. Um I knew a woman that got a tummy tuck and um she said that when you have all the excess skin If it weighs a certain amount, you can actually donate that that skin to burn victims and they can utilize that skin to help save lives. So, I look at it this way. If you feel that you're being called to have like a tummy tuck or something, first of all, pray about it. And if you feel that you're still being called to do that, then by by all means go ahead and get one done. But I would also check with the doctor and see if you have enough skin to donate it because I mean, what a blessing that you can take something that you don't need anymore. And you can give it to someone that desperately needs it because you know our skin is an organ. It's the largest organ on our body, and when you don't have skin, um, you pretty much very quickly die because your skin is the best barrier against germs and disease. And so these burn victims, they typically don't uh, they typically don't die from the burn itself. Um, they typically die from complications from not having anything covering up um, their muscles. Uh, their tendons, their tissues, their organs, things like that, so they get infections really easily. And our muscles and tendons and organs—they were not made to be exposed to to the air. They they were made to be insulated with skin, so that way they can get proper nutrients um, from a blood supply, and they need a good blood supply low with oxygen. So that's one of those things that I would definitely look into. But just know that you know God's not against you; He's for you. And you know, let's say for example, you're listening to this and you've had a ton of plastic surgery. Don't feel bad about that. I'm not anti-plastic surgery at all. I think plastic surgery is a great, wonderful, modern uh, invention. I think it's absolutely wonderful what they can do to help people. So if you've had a lot of plastic surgery and you're feeling guilty about it, don't, because there is no shame in blaming. um within the holy family of God know that you are a child of God and regardless of what kind of surgeries you've had God loves you anyway he loves you so much he loves you just as much as he does right now than he did before you had all those surgeries and here's the thing he he's not going to love you more than he does right now and you're probably thinking what that doesn't make sense well here's the thing God loves you unconditionally so how can he love you beyond unconditionally if he loved you beyond or less than unconditionally then it would be conditional love but we worship a god that is not a conditional god he's unconditional he's an unconditional god because he gives us unconditional love so i look at it this way regardless of what is in your past what you're going through right now or maybe you'll make mistakes in the future go to god with everything and don't live in shame and blame don't don't live there and don't live in remorse every single day of your life that that is a lie from the enemy that is a lie straight from the depths of hell 
If you are regretting something, take it up in prayer immediately and just say, Heavenly Father, I sinned, or Jesus, you know, Jesus forgive me, I sinned, and you know, list it out you know, in your head, in your heart, whatever the case may be. Because I think if you say it out loud, you need to be careful who's overhearing. But you know, keep it between you and God because it's really nobody else's business except between you and your Heavenly Father. So if there's something that's bothering you, take it up with the Lord immediately, and he will forgive you. Just ask for forgiveness. And just know that you know, when you ask for forgiveness and you repent, You are completely forgiven of that. It doesn't matter what it is. And the slate has been wiped clean. Big time. That you know, when the slate's wiped clean, you know, it it doesn't make any sense to go, "Oh, yeah, I did that," or "I feel bad about this and that and blah blah blah." No, 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 no. You know, when you whenever you repent of something, God wipes the slate clean, and then if you're trying to bring it up again, that's like trying to dig up a dead body and try and bring life into it again. You know, let's say for example, you know, let's see. Oh, well, let, let's say you were a drunk driver back in the day. And you you truly regret some of the accidents you were in because I know some people, well not like personally, but I've um met some people that had that kind of lifestyle and it was very dangerous and weird, but um you know, let's say for example, you lived a really rough life in your teens and 20s and now you're in your 40s or 50s and you're thinking, "Wow, I did some really bad stuff." You know, I've said I'm sorry. I still feel bad. Well, just know that you feeling bad, that's not from God. That's condemnation. That's from that's from the enemy. That's from the depths of hell because if you have a repentant heart, you've already said you're sorry, you've already asked God for forgiveness, then that slate is wiped clean. So, if it's like 10 or 20 years or however long after the fact, and you're still feeling bad about, it, that's like going to a graveyard and trying to dig up people and try and make it seem like they're still alive when they're not. When something's dead, it's dead. Well, it's the same way with your sins. When when you repent of something and the slate is wiped clean, you know Jesus knows that sin no more. It, it is forever, you know, it's forever gone, and you are not supposed to live in shame and blame anymore. Ever, 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 because the love of Christ is what unites us to God, and the love of Christ does not include condemnation of any kind. And that's one of the main differences between the Judeo-Christian faith and some of the other faiths out there. It's that it's like you can't ever get ahead or maybe they don't even include a, a holiness to their religion at all. It's just about being practical and you know being practical is good in life, but I think if if all you're doing is being practical then you're missing out on the goodness of God and you know we're not called to miss out on the blessings of God, not by any means. So, I mean, just just take to heart that God loves you and more than likely he has already been trying to find a way to let you know what he wants you to do with your life. And it's the same thing here with the apostle John. You know, he was brutally beaten and you know tortured by the Romans and then he was exiled on the, the island of Patmos. And even while he was there, he continued to give glory to God and he wrote these letters to these churches. I mean, what a testament. I mean, in his agony and in his misery, he still wanted people to know about the goodness of God. He wanted people to know about Jesus Christ and to believe in him because he knew about the goodness of God. He knew that Jesus was the Messiah and that he can free these people from their sins and free them from any kind of tyranny so that they can have a better and blessed life. So even in his misery, he was still trying to find joy and he did find joy. Cuz I mean, can you imagine like being miserable and the first things out of your mouth to somebody is grace and peace to you? Like he's putting aside his misery. He's not focusing on his hardship. 
He's focusing on the goodness of God, and that's why he was able to write these letters to these seven churches. That's how he was able to do so much with his life. Was he focused on the goodness of God? He would not allow the devil to deter him from writing these letters and from helping people to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, so that they can live a fulfilled life as opposed as opposed to a less fulfilled life. I just think that's such a testament right here that. You know, even in his misery, he continued to do the holy will of God against all odds, against being tortured, being exiled. I mean, you know, you know, when we think of Greece and when we think of these islands, we think of like resorts and stuff and like vacation places. But this was not a resort. This was not a vacation place. Like when you were exiled, it was its own little hell. It really was. But it was hell on earth. You were very lonely. They didn't care if you had food, water, shelter. They didn't care if you had, you know, leprosy. If you got sick with something, they certainly were not going to send you a doctor. So, you know, just really realize that the Apostle John, he suffered greatly physically, spiritually, and emotionally, and it was it was often in great times of loneliness because I can only imagine being exiled on an island, and I would think it would be very easy. To get depressed, but he didn't allow himself to do that because he practiced mind over matter, and he he focused his thoughts on God. Because when you focus on God, that doesn't mean you are a religious nut. It means that you're trying to focus on something that is way better than your current situation because you know God is going to get you out of that tough situation no matter what. That's what the Apostle John was doing here, and I think it's a great testament to how to live as a Christian. And just realize that our calling is more important than our struggle. And people may not want to hear that, but it is so true. Because when you focus on the calling on your life, whatever that is, you know, if you're called to be married, or if you're called to be single, or if you're called to be an entertainer, maybe you're called to be a doctor, maybe you want to be a preacher, you know, whatever the calling is on your life, your calling is more important than your pain. Because when you focus on your calling. You won't have as much pain, and your pain will quickly go away because you're focusing on the goodness of God. And when you focus on the goodness of God, those blessings will just wipe out your pain. Like you won't even feel like you're in pain anymore. You won't even feel sick anymore because you're focusing on God because you're so in love with God and with Jesus that there is no room in your life for agony. And what a joy that is! And once I woke up to that realization, my life completely changed again. My life has. It has taken so many turns; it's, it's unbelievable, and I just have so many new pathways in my life, but they're all going to God. And I just am so grateful for all the light bulbs that have come on in my head. But it's not from my doing; it's from God's doing. Like I can't take credit for any of that. I give all the glory and all the praise to God because, in my own human understanding, my my humanness doesn't get me where I need to go. But God's goodness and His His faithfulness to me. Gets me where I need to go every single time, and I love that because it takes the responsibility that I have, and instead of making it a burden, it makes it a joy. Because then I get to enjoy my life. I don't have to be like, oh no, I have to do this. Ugh. You know, I don't have as much frustration. Do I get a little irritated every now and then? Yeah, but not like I used to. If you've listened to my previous podcast, man, did I used to get really irritated about stuff. I was just constantly frustrated, but I, I wasn't taught. I wasn't raised in the right faith, first of all, the right denomination, and also 
I didn't completely understand the word of God because I wasn't sure that God loved me. So if you're not sure that someone loves you, then it's kind of hard to believe anything that comes out of their mouth. And you know, I can I can correlate that to like dating relationships I've had. Like if I didn't really trust the guy I was dating, I didn't really believe him when he said that he loved me or that he wanted to be with me. You know, it's one of those things that you have to trust. You have to trust God because if you don't trust God, then you're pretty much are never going to trust people ever again. Especially if if some people have hurt you. But the way that you get over that hurt is you put your complete trust in God and he will bring you the right people. He will bring you the right relationships. And he will help you to fulfill your calling even if, you know, even if you're listening to this and you're thinking, "I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life." That's okay. God does. You know, ask him for help, ask him for guidance and wisdom, ask him for discernment, and he will help you. You know, if anything, you could write down a list of all the things that really irritate you, which is what I've done before. <laughs> and what's interesting about doing that, I laugh at myself, but um when I wrote down the frustrations I prayed about, it, I just really laughed because I thought I'm letting all this bother me when I actually have a good life. Like, why am I so focused on these these puny, stupid little things that aren't really that big a deal but you know when we let them become a big deal in our heart and in our mind then that's when it starts to consume us but if you let god be a big deal in your life then you're not going to have to worry about any of this other stuff that's bothersome or a nuisance or maybe you know you can't stand something you know when you focus on god everything else you know, falls into place and i am a, a living testimony of that big time So, but I will go ahead and end this podcast cuz it is a little over 40 minutes. So, as usual, I pray that you're happy, healthy and whole and that you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week and feel free to contact me anytime. There should be a message link on my podcast. But again, have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. Thank you so much. God bless.
Still hold